Hello and welcome to MacPreneur, the show that explores how entrepreneurs from all around the world run their business on Apple Gear. My name is Damien Schroers and here we go for episode 17. So, who are you and where are you calling from? My name is Matt Woodworth and I'm calling from Aiken, South Carolina in the United States. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you. Appreciate being here. Yeah, it's great to have you and um, a little uh, secret maybe for the for the listeners because you you were part of the the genesis of the MacPreneur podcast. <laughs> we had this uh, great conversation uh, in Austin, Texas during the Sean West conference. That's right, we did. And um, that was the impetus for for me to to make Mac, MacPreneur a reality. So it's uh, I'm I'm happy to have you on the on the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate being here. And that was a great conversation we had. I remember that conversation and just the ideas going back and forth. And it's really great to see, you know, it come to fruition here that you're actually putting it together and helping people with it and, and doing such great things with it. It's great to see. So congrats to you on that. <laughs> thank you. So for the listeners, could you uh, explain them what you what you do professionally? Sure. I design T-shirts for screen printers and for retail clients. So basically what that means, I'm kind of like a hired gun for uh, screen printers around the country, mostly in the United States, uh, who either have a limited art department or they have a certain kind of design they need uh, that they don't have the right staff for in-house to do it, or they're very overloaded with work and they need some outside help to accomplish. And so they'll commonly send me the uh, idea from their client, I'll put a design together for them, uh, commonly an illustrator, and send it to them for uh, for printing and that sort of thing. So that's a lot. Of, that's most of what I do. And there are some clients I do retail shirts for uh, or for uh, something they're putting together that they want to uh, do at a fundraiser or an event, that sort of thing. And so how did you become an entrepreneur? How did you start this business? Well, it's funny. I actually never, I had thoughts about becoming an entrepreneur, but it never really seemed like something I would ever get into. And it kind of grew from one, I guess, from one achieved goal to the next. Uh, I would, I was, after school, I went to school for art. And after school, I got an art job uh, designing these centerpieces for, for theme parties. Uh, it wasn't quite what I wanted to be doing with my life. And then after that, I, uh, kind of got out of art for a while and wasn't really happy being out of art. And after a number of years, I decided that I, I need to get back into it again and kind of updated my portfolio and polished up my skills, especially with uh, the Adobe suite and put together a number of designs and logos and things. And I, I applied to a screen print company that was local to my town and was given a position as a, as a junior artist there designing t-shirts and it kind of took off from there. So it was one step after another. So I kind of worked there for a while and uh, it kind of it ran its course. And then I got a new opportunity to work in another screen print shop in another town and kind of took over their art department and kind of refocused their business in a new direction. And that kind of became the guinea pig actually for where I went after that, which was starting my own business 
in the beginning of 2014. Uh, the, the second business I worked for in, in screen printing, they basically were kind of a flatline business. They didn't have any new income coming in, and they were using a lot of clip art and things, and we kind of refocused it to focus on customized art and really kind of utilizing the most with the, with the limitations of a budget and color scheme and shirt and printer choices that we had. And basically, we were able to kind of get a whole new level of client to come in and purchase our shirts. And that kind of showed me that there was a market for higher-end art and for these kinds of things, especially in an in a industry uh, that is notorious for being cheap, which is the screen print industry. <laughs> uh, everyone thinks art is free. Everyone seems to think art should be cheap uh, or, or just throw away art. You know, it's, a, it's part of the process you ignore and overlook. But what we discovered uh, through the second company I worked for was that when you really focus on the art, you really make it a priority that that actually builds your business, you become more of a specialty instead of a commodity business. And that's what I took on the next step when I decided to quit my job and start my own business, uh, specializing in screen print design, doing higher end artwork for clients, like I had said before. So. And um, how do you find customers then? When you are on your own, it's a different story. So how do you do? Well, it's, it, you know, uh, when I first started out, I used Craigslist quite a bit. And that had a lot of uh, pros and mostly cons to it. Not a lot of pros. But I started with that. And uh, if, believe it or not, my biggest way to find clients is through Facebook. I use Facebook. I've joined several screen print design groups that are on Facebook. And I try to answer as many questions as I can. I I try to follow the Gary V model, you know, uh, hmm. give, give. He doesn't say get, what is it? Punch something that's, uh, it's not, I can't think of the name of the book right now, but, um, you know, the right hook. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't remember if yeah, it's yeah, finishing by, by hook or it's starting with hook. Well, I think, <laughs> oh, I think it's jab, 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 hook. <laughs> or jab, 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 hook, something like that. Well, you know, the important thing is I know what it means, not what the actual, you know, catchphrase was. Uh, I think Sean talked about this as Sean West uh, quite a bit as well. We, you know, you give and give and give value, and that builds a trust with clients, and they'll come to you first when they have a problem or they have an issue or they have a job that needs to be done right. And so what I did is I, I gave, 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 and I would answer a lot of questions. People had a lot of art-related questions, and... That kind of led to more jobs. And so now what I frequently do is post my work in those forums, uh, as well as a couple other t-shirt forums online that are separate from Facebook. And that usually uh, sends enough work my way to keep me busy. So it's kind of unique. I don't, know, I don't know what I'd do without social media. It'd be a whole different world. <laughs> yeah, I was reflecting on it. And, and also just, just the internet what the internet brought us it's uh, for entrepreneurs for entrepreneurship in general it's like it's it's unbelievable well you know even just starting a business i, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have this business without the internet uh, i don't have a lot of overhead right now and uh, but of course when you live in a town you only have so much outreach you can only go so far you know in one direction physically but with mm -hmm. with the internet you have the ability to show your work to clients worldwide. And it's just amazing. It's amazing how much work is out there and how much opportunity is there and how the internet really allows for that to happen, how it, it connects people from all over the world. 
I mean, you, you, you and I talking now, I mean, this is just amazing to me. So it's an amazing thing that wasn't possible 10 years, well, 10 years ago, maybe, but not really, you know, it was just getting started. So just over the last few years, how far it's really come. So yeah, the show is Macpreneur. So let's go and talk about uh, Apple devices. So which Apple devices are you using uh, to run your business? Well, I've got a iMac 27-inch machine that I use. That's my main machine. And mm -hmm. I've got a Mac Mini, which is my backup. And I've also got a, an iPad with iPad Pencil or, or Apple Pencil that I also use. Those are my main three machines that I use. And I do most of my work with those three things. So... The the twenty seven inch is the, is it the the Retina five K? Uh no, it's not. It's an older version. It's a twenty eleven model, late twenty eleven. Uh, but it does the job, um, so it gets the job done. And you know who knows? Maybe I'll upgrade one of these days to one of the newer ones. But I might wait till this one dies. <laughs> <laughs> so what I've got, I've got a kind of a nice little setup. I work on a, a Wacom Cintiq, a twenty seven Cintiq, and so I've got my iMac set back on a on a pedestal on the back of my desk and then in front of me i've got a, a cintiq which is basically a giant tablet um that is on your desk that you can draw right on the screen with your stylus and uh, so the imac treats it like a second monitor and so what i did is make it my primary monitor and made my imac screen my secondary monitor and so i could kind of drag files back and forth between the two monitors and one's above me and one's right down in front of me like a you know, like a sketch pad kind of look. And so that's kind of how I have it set up. And then I have my Mac mini, uh, second, uh, you know, separate. And that's where I've got all of my financial information. And you know, that's where I do all my invoicing and that sort of thing so that my wife can help me with those things, uh, and not, not tie up the Cintiq. So, and for the Mac mini, it's a headless, uh, configuration. So you, you access it via something like VNC or something like that. Is it screen sharing or do you have a separate screen from the, for the Mac mini? Uh, I have a separate screen for that. Okay. Get this. I have an old monitor. I have one of the original Apple monitors. The, uh, I forget what, what model it was, but it was a flat, you know, quote unquote flat screen. Now it's, now it looks really thick, but it was, I bought it probably 12 years ago. It must have been the 24-inch uh, cinema display or something like that. I think so. I think I, I'm sorry I don't have that info in front of me, but yeah, it's it still works. I love it. I mean, it's amazing that it still works. Um, so I have that. I've got an Apple keyboard attached to it, and it's in a, it's in a different room. Uh, it's just got the basics on it, you know, because it's it's not a super high tech computer. It's a pretty basic one, but that way uh, two of us can be working at the same time without crossing over each other. And uh, for the most part, we just kind of uh, we use Dropbox and send files back and forth is how we've, we've commonly been doing it. It's not as high tech as what you suggested. I don't usually need a lot of the files that are on that machine. Usually it's a one-way thing. Usually I'm sending, I'm a, we'll send proofs to clients from that machine. Uh, we'll send, um, you know, contracts, that sort of thing. So I'll, I'll just put those in Dropbox in a shared folder I have with that machine and then drag them out over there or someone else drags them out and we send them off to the client from there. And then all invoicing gets done over there as well. So that's kind of how we have it. It's, it's working so far for us. For a long time, we only had one machine and that kind of made it hard. So we've, we've moved on to two. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, just a, just a small tip. If you go into system preferences mm -hmm. and then sharing on uh, the Mac Mini, for instance, okay. then you, you have an option to do uh, share screen. Oh, that's right. And uh, that's what I was calling about. Uh, I was uh, talking about uh, VNC. And so VNC, is, it's a screen sharing capability. So you, if you know the address, the IP address of the Mac Mini on the network, mm -hmm. you can, from your iMac, get a, a little screen that will show you the screen of the Mac Mini right from your iMac. Mm. So you could uh, do stuff uh, like that. Mm -hmm. There is also a file sharing capability in the sense that uh, since both computers are on the same local network, you could um, create a folder on your user account or in the shared user account. There is a there is a shared user account on, on every Mac. And for the shared uh, user account, you could create a folder and that folder you could share across the network mm. and mount it on your iMac. And so you could drag and drop files from your iMac into that uh, shared folders avail available through the network and it, the, the files would appear on the Mac Mini. So the, it's like your personal <laughs> Dropbox if you want. You, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't need Dropbox. And actually, even if you didn't have internet at that time, it would work because it's purely local network, like from computer directly to the other computer. Well, it sounds like I need to talk to you a little more after the show. That, thing's <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a better plan than what I've got for sure. Well, Dropbox works. Uh, it's it's uh, it's great when you have uh, remote remote computers. Mm. For local computers, uh, Apple has already foreseen a lot of solutions. Sure, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm up for trying that. Actually, that sounds like a better option than I've got going on. So, like I like the the fact that you can do it offline, and have it just be so so automated like that. That's terrific. So, how did you come about having uh, Apple products? Uh, and, and Apple computers uh, specifically? Well, my parents bought me a G4 after college. That was my college graduation gift. And, uh, you know, they, I put all the Adobe software on there and everything else. And that's kind of what I started with for a number of years. And I just loved it. It was great. Didn't have to worry about viruses or uh, everything just worked. And it was all just kind of self-contained. And so I, just, I fell in love with it. And then shortly after I got it, I'm kind of dating myself here, but shortly after I got it, uh, OS 10 came out, and that was like a revolutionary step compared to OS 9, and that was even better, and then it just kept going from there. So I've been a Mac user since 2000, the year 2000, and I've had different Macs since then, different MacBook Pros and um, things like that, iMacs, so. I, I didn't know uh, when I was... I entered the Apple ecosystem much much later than that, so I didn't I didn't live through the OS nine to macOS uh, to OS ten uh, transition. So how how was that? Just uh, by curiosity. Uh, well, it wasn't too it wasn't too bad. I I don't remember it in great detail now. That was a while ago, but um, it was a different a whole different format. Everything was arranged differently. I mean, it was a completely different look. Um, it was it was. It, it took some getting used to. I remember that. But once you started using it, you didn't want to go back. You know, I, didn't, I didn't want to go back to OS 9. It just seemed so archaic immediately. It just and The OS 10 interface, everything about it, how smooth it was to work with, you know, it just made OS 9, in my opinion, seem you know, so, so ancient, basically. 
so, but then, you know, it, I stuck with it all throughout. You know, we went to the Intel chips, and you know, that, that was a transition right there. Uh, but I, but they, they had the great uh, Rosetta program. I think it was called Rosetta, where they allowed you to run the PowerPC-based applications on your Intel chip machines. And that was really handy. And then, by the, you know, everything kind of transitioned. And so I stayed with that transition, and I, I still... You know, I admit I have a Windows machine as a as a small laptop for for travel here and there, but uh, most almost everything I do is on a Mac, and I prefer it that way. Yeah, when I when I got into the Apple ecosystem, it was just after the Intel uh, transitions. So they had the the white flat iMac, which <laughs> was the first iMac with the Intel processor, and then right after that, they had the, their first aluminum iMac. And that was my first uh, computer. Mm. You chose the right time to join in. If you waited, if you'd done it a year earlier, you'd have a lot of things to upgrade. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I remember it was a snow leopard at the time okay. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I got the computer. And uh, it was funny because they they added just at that time the resizing of the of the Finder window. I think all the windows from any corner, which is something that like we we had that uh, with Windows for years and years, <laughs> but it just arrived on the Mac at that time. <laughs> funny how if we look back on those days and realize how much has changed, how much technology has really grown, mm. incredible. Yeah. So what what do you like the most then uh, about uh, Apple products? I I think ease of use. Uh, everything kind of works together, which is terrific. You don't have to. You know, you know that everything, all the apps, everything is, is well built and put together, and you don't have to worry about uh, compatibility and that sort of thing. It's just, I, I like the interface. Usually, the apps made for the Mac, they've got a pretty good interface uh, in, in themselves. I think those that those uh, the companies that create the apps, you know, I think the designers there, they think about the e- ecosystem, they think about how things look. And so the aesthetics are really nice as well. Uh, I just, you know, everything just is smooth. I think smooth is the word I'm looking for. It's just everything just works together, and I appreciate it. Yeah. So in terms of uh, applications, mm-hmm. so which are those that you use the most on your on your iMac and, and maybe in, in combination with your Cintiq? Sure. Well, one of my uh, favorite apps is called Find My Font, and I don't, so it's a Mac and a PC app. It works for both. It's uh, it's a real lifesaver, and I kind of resisted getting it for a while. It's a it's a fifty dollar program. It's not a whole lot of money, but you think about how often do I need to find the font? You know, is it is it worth spending money on this? And uh, I kept asking people online, "What's this font? What's that font?" And they kept telling me, "Go buy this program." <laughs> and so I bought it, and uh, now I have it on all my machines. I, I purchased it several times over from all my machines. Uh, basically, it you just take a picture of the image you're trying to find the font of, the name of, and you do a little search. You, you put it in there, and it does an image trace of that picture, and it comes up with a list of fonts that you have on your system and also on the Internet and helps you to find not only the main font but also other similar fonts based on a percentage of how close they are. And so I found myself using that almost daily now looking up fonts, you know, clients send me things and they say, what font, you know, make it a font like this. And so I have to look it up and find it. Um, so it's an amazing tool. And so I, I use it almost every day. So find my font. That's a great one. I use Illustrator, Adobe Illustrator every day. 
Um, almost all my work is done with vector graphics, and vector graphics are pretty much the most common screen print, you know, source. It's there's a lot of uh, raster designs out there, you know, fish and cars and different things, and those those are a huge part of it as well. But you know, a lot of stuff is done with vector, and so I use Illustrator, and then uh, an app called Vector Magic I really like as well. I, I bought that program. And what it does, it, it basically takes your raster image and vectorizes it for you, and it gives you a lot of a lot of control over how it's going to look. And so I primarily use that. I'll draw something out in a program like Photoshop or Procreate or something like that, and I'll want to uh, convert it to vector to use on a T-shirt. And just love the ability you know, to dial in the details of what I want. I think it's a better vectorizing program than Illustrator has or other programs that I've found so far. So those are my top three, I think, right? I, I pretty much use those almost every day. <laughs> those, they come in handy. Yeah, so, and, and so the, the Cintiq is the, the tool that you use for doing the, for creating the, your designs, right? Yes, that's my primary tool. Uh, what I love about the Cintiq is it allows me to to draw right on the screen, which it's as close to drawing in a sketchbook traditionally as you can get, and not be traditional. So, what I I used to, when I started my business, I drew everything in a sketchbook, and you know I still do that from time to time because I love the I love the feel of paper on pencil. You, know, you, you never get away from that entirely. But when you're trying to get work done all throughout the week, you don't have a lot of time. You have to get things done. And so I've just found it to be faster to have a Cintiq because I can draw right on the screen. And then, of course, you can manipulate it and warp it and twist it and do whatever you need to do with it to get it the way you want. And then then I'll trace, I'll trace over the image you know, in Illustrator. So I'll take the, the raster image that I drew. I'll import it into Illustrator. I'll lock it down, make a new layer over top. And then using my stylus, I'll draw over top my sketch and turn it into a vector. That's one way I do it. But you know, having the ability to use a Cintiq, it it speeds things up. I think about fifteen percent. All my workflow is a little faster that way. And I use my iMac to hold all my other information. So I'll put uh, an email from the client up there on my other screen on my iMac screen. I'll put a color color palette that I'm using. I'll put if I'm listening to a music video or to a, a podcast or a, a movie or something, I'll kind of put that on the top screen just to just to have it up there or a chat network. Uh, that, that kind of stuff goes on my secondary screen. And that way I can tr make my main screen my main focus. And where does the iPad Pro with Pencil fit then in, in your workflow? Well, the iPad Pro is, has really come a long way in terms of the applications that you can use with it. And uh, it's kind of ironic that Steve Jobs wasn't really big on the pencil because to me, <laughs> to me, it's a, I mean, it's one of the biggest reasons I use the iPad now. So with the iPad, you know, my, my top three, I'm kind of jumping ahead here a little bit, but my top three apps for that would be like Procreate. Uh, and then there's Affinity Designer and it allows you to do a lot of the things you would do in Illustrator, a lot of vectoring right there on the iPad. So what I love about the, the iPad overall is that I can sit down on the couch, I can go to a coffee shop, I can go anywhere, really. I can be on vacation or in the car, as long as I'm not driving, and I can draw and I can sketch right there 
in one of those applications and then in, inside the same app or inside the same device, swap the image over to another program and can do more work with it, whether that be uh, from Procreate over to Affinity Designer for the iPad, uh, over to some other program. You know, they've got Affinity Designer or, or Affinity Photo also for the iPad, which is like a Photoshop file or application. So basically, it just kind of gives me a lot of mobility. And for a while, I was considering buying uh, a, a Wacom tablet that's more mobile. I was considering some of the, the secondary market options for that sort of thing. So I could work outside my office more, but when the uh, when the iPad really when when Procreate updated to the one of the more recent versions, uh, and when Affinity Designer for the iPad came out, it really kind of answered all my mobile questions. So now I spend probably half my time on the iPad, drawing my stuff out, my work, uh, and that way I'm not sitting in my chair the whole time in front of my Cintiq. But yeah, typically what I'll do is do most of my work on the iPad for those things, and then I'll still bring it in to my iMac uh, and I, through, through iCloud, and I will finish them up on my main computer, just touch them up, finish them up, and that, that sort of thing, because it helps to have a bigger screen for that, I, I found. Which iPad Pro did you buy, the 10.5-inch or the 12-inch? Well, what I would, uh, I, it's not the 12-inch. I think it's the 9. Point, what is it, 9.5 or something, or 9 point? It's a smaller one right now. It's an older model. And the 9.7. So you have, yeah, there is a 9, 9.7. The, the newer one was a 10.5. And then they, have, they had the 12.9, I think. Yeah, 12.9-inch. That's the, big, the biggest iPad they have, iPad Pro. Well, I had I had purchased the the nine point what is it nine point five or nine point seven nine point seven sorry I had purchased that a while back and then these applications kind of developed further since I since I purchased it and so I'm actually looking to at some point here upgrade to a twelve point nine I was kind of hoping the recent Apple event would upgrade the the specs but I think we'll we'll have to wait on that or I'll just put up with what they've got because what they have is pretty good. So uh, that's probably my next thing I'll, I'll do is buy a bigger iPad. So I have more room. I, I wasn't thinking about this as, a, as, a, as such a drawing device when I purchased it. So I got, I got a smaller one because I was thinking about it more for reading, emailing, everyday common use, and not so much as a professional tool that I was going to be drawing on. And I have tried out the 12.9s, and it's a whole lot nicer to have that extra real estate on the screen to draw on, as well as the processing power. So I think that's kind of, now that these applications have come out, like I said, Affinity Designer for the iPad and different things like Procreate really uh, has come far recently. It's really kind of taken a new role in my professional use. So it's kind of a nice thing. To, to have, you know, to realize that I need a, this is a whole new direction I can go in and accomplishes what I'm looking for. And so you mentioned you're synchronizing everything through iCloud. So you have created some folders in iCloud Drive that you're accessing via the Files app, something like that, or? Yes, yes, I have, I have folders for all my main uh, programs that I use and that I can, uh, so commonly what I'll do is if I'm working in Procreate, for example, I'll just save it to the to the to the iPad because that's where I'm working. So I'll have a sketch that I've drawn out, and I want to finalize it in Affinity Designer or something else. 
And so I'll save it on the iPad and then open it from my iPad into Affinity Designer and then work on it there. And then when I'm done with it, I'll put it on the on into iCloud in its own folder, in the designer folder. And then I can access that from my iMac. And I just go pull it up and open it, and there it is. And then what's great about it is I can I can finish it in Affinity Designer on the computer, on the actual iMac and Cintiq, or I can take the file and I can move it over into Illustrator and finish it there as well. So there's a lot of flexibility with that. Yeah, that's good. That's great. Which iCloud storage plan uh, do, do you have? I just have the basic one right now, and I just clear it out. I just move everything over, and then I clear out what I what I don't need. I put I have a system of folders. I've got a a backup hard drive that uh, stores all my client work, and I got a backup of that as well. Thankfully, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, basically I just I move everything over into the client file, and so I have a history of all my work going back to the sketch all the way through, and so it's really iCloud is really because I work in one location, you know one one place most of the time i don't have to worry about things being there i don't have to i don't i don't need a ton of files when i go to the coffee shop or something i just need a couple files and so i've kept it on the simple the simple use for now mm -hmm. so in the show there is a what i call the haha moment segment mm -hmm. and um, so it's the question about uh, what tip or trick did you discover recently on any of your devices that you wished you knew before? Well, uh, there are a couple things. One was a, was a really basic one. You know, what happens is when I design things, I like to take screenshots as I go, and I'll show the client the screenshot, or I just I save it for to look back on, or I just I'm showing some of my work. Uh, I have other artists and friends I, I send my my work to and show them what I'm working on in progress and get ideas from them, and so I end up with a lot of. Uh, screenshot images, you know, just says screenshot and then it has the time. And what I, I used to have a program that would rename them. Uh, there was, and I, uh, I forget what it was called now. I used to have a program for that, uh, but it stopped working or it was a, it became a paid program or something else. And I, I didn't, I didn't get back to it. But then I realized recently that inside the finder, you can rename things just by grabbing the files and just right click. And then it says rename and you can change the name right there. I, I, I kind of thought, oh, wow, how did I miss that all this time? <laughs> <laughs> I could have saved me a lot of struggle, you know? So it's kind of a, that's a pretty basic example of an aha for me, but it was uh, it was pretty big. <laughs> it's a recent change, actually. It's um, I think it's um, Yosemite or El Capitan. Mm -hmm. uh, they introduced that uh, right-click for rename that was... And it, it's pretty powerful, and uh, the... You can you can really do some replacement of strings of characters. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a search and replace mm. and re, a rename at the same time. It's a very very powerful. Mm. Well, I usually commonly just to rename stuff because I'll have a bunch of as I go through a design in a day, I'll end up with ten or twelve different screenshots, and I I move them over into the client folder. But it would be nice. It's nice to be able to name them something before I put them in there. It's nice to be able to say what the job, na job name is, and then have it go through. So I, I don't have to look for the timestamp to know which one is the newest. I just say, oh, it's this one. Here it is, number four. So that's, that's been a little, little fun thing that I found recently that uh, has helped me immensely. 
and naming my files. So I don't have a ton of the same looking files. So that's a big one. Great. So in, in the pre-show, we talked about some um, workflow improvements that uh, you'd like to, to put in place. So could you please explain a, a little bit the background of, uh, of this? Well, I was, I'd like to do more to keep up with my client base. And sometimes you get so busy that you realize it's that time of the year again for a certain client project that comes annually or uh, one client has several jobs throughout the year, but they all happen at certain in you know, intervals. And it'd be nice to be reminded to reach out to them or to check on them or to have some sort of a plan in place where I can not for, not forget about a client or miss out on an opportunity there to stay top of mind with them as they're going about things. Um, yeah, I was looking at a book talking about um, how, how to never lose a client again. And it was talking about what to do in the hundred days after, after you've delivered the product to your client, you know, how to treat them, how to, how to keep them, you know, so that you, uh, you don't have to research this over, you know, find new clients over and over again. And so it, it just made me, I haven't finished the book yet. I'm still working on it, but it made me think about, okay, what is, what do I want to accomplish in the hundred days after, after a project is complete? Because normally I just kind of move on to the next thing. And I realized that isn't really a great professional way to handle it. And I want to stay in touch with my clients and really kind of, you know, carry them through and, and make sure they're all set on to the next one. So I, I, I guess I'd like to automate more something where it reminds me it's that time of the year again, or it's this, you haven't spoken to this client in two months or a month or whatever the case may be, or you haven't reached out to them, that sort of thing, so that I can, I can better connect with my clients and not get lost in all the jobs, but uh, do it like that. And what, what are you using right now to manage your contacts, to manage your clients uh, for email and so on? Right now, I use Postbox for my email. So it's a good, it's a good Apple based, uh, I mean, it's not an Apple product. It, it's for, it's for the Mac. It's a Mac based, uh, email, uh, application. I use that and I've got reminders in there and I've got, I flag things and I'll, it's, it's pretty good for that. Um, you know, I, I kind of put things on a calendar, you know, I have the calendar here that kind of pops things up, but I don't have anything really formal or anything really one great system for that. Uh, right now, it's sadly, it's going through and looking at the previous year of client work and kind of putting it in by date and looking ahead two or three months from where I was and say, which clients are, are repetitive clients that I need to make sure that I reach out to with a good lead time to have time to finish their, their current annual project that they would have for me. So that's kind of where I'm at, but I, I don't think that's a very I prefer a little more uh, a little more help with that actually. So mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think it's a foolproof way, and so I'd like to improve that, if possible. So post postbox is the the app, but uh, who is your email provider? I use Google. So the there is a service called Boomerang for Gmail, mm -hmm. and you can you can snooze. Uh, certain emails so you can um, whenever you have an email that you have sent or that you have received for a specific client mm -hmm. it's possible to say snooze f 
until a certain event happens or does not happen, like does not reply or things like that. Mm -hmm. But you can also do an arbitrary uh, date. So you, you could uh, say snooze for three months, for instance. Mm. Okay. That means that that email would be archived, would still be uh, in your old mails, but would pop up in your inbox three months later. Mm. So that, that would be a kind of a reminder, but it's not fully automatic because you need to, you need to, to tell Boomerang that you want to snooze the email, but that's a, that's a possibility. Okay. Um, I'm using a Podio for my CRM and uh, in Podio there is, there is a prospect app that I'm using. And in, in that uh, prospect app, there are two date fields. One, which, which is the, the last time I spoke with the customer or the prospect. Mm -hmm. And then there is another field that I set myself. And I said, what's the next time I, I would like to be in touch? And uh, Podio integrates with Google Calendar. Okay. And so the, for the date that I've put when I want to reach over to the customer, and it's, let's say it's in two months' time, when I will be in two months' time, I will see on my calendar the name of the prospect. So again, it's not automatic. I, I, I need to go through my list of prospects and put the dates that uh, when, I, when I believe I need to, to reach out to them. Mm -hmm. But that's a, that's a way to have it in, in the calendar, but not managing the calendar if you want. It's, I have my, my own CRM system where everything is managed in the CRM, but because it synchronizes with my Google Calendar, I get information on both systems. Mm. That sounds good. I'll be interested in trying that out. And then, then you could have something that's more generic that would be a, a recurring reminder, like a reminder that would say uh, every two weeks or every month on a certain day of the week or something like that. You would say, okay, have a look at the past, the customers, the past uh, six months customers. That would be a kind of a nudge for you. Sure. Again, it would not be specific to a, to a, to a specific client, but it would be a kind of a, a gentle reminder that that's also a possibility. Okay. I don't, I don't know which one would be the best for you, but I, these are some ideas that you could explore and, and try out. I appreciate that. I, I will try those out. I, this is something I want to improve on, especially as I, as I work on more and more projects. It, it's easy to lose track of things, and you want to make sure that you avoid that whenever possible, obviously. So anything that can improve that for me, I'm, I'm certainly interested in trying. Yeah, otherwise, there is also uh, IFTTT. If this, then that. Okay. It's an, it's an online service that can watch your Gmail uh, inbox. And you could create a rule for... So let's say that it would be a kind of a two-part uh, workflow. So the, the first part would be inside uh, Google, inside uh, Gmail. You could create a rule that would flag certain customers. So you would have from and then the name of the customers that you absolutely want to follow up with, like from client A or client B or client C. So whenever those clients appear in the from as a sender, 
you would uh, tag them with a certain tag, like a, a follow-up tag or something like that. Okay. And then, so that would happen automatically, like uh, whenever a client sends you an email, that, that email will be in the follow-up uh, email or in the special client email, uh, special client uh, tag or folder. And then on top of that, IFTTT, you could program it to, to watch anything that's coming and that is tagged with that label, which has that specific label. And then whenever something is new and with that label, you could then create something like a reminder. And then you would be free to say, remind me in one month, uh, two months or something like that to follow up. So that, that means that you would have a reminder that will be automatically created a certain amount of time after the last email that you received from that customer. Um, now it depends how often you, you exchange emails with the customer because <laughs> <laughs> if you have a back and forth of 10 emails with that customer, you would have 10 reminders. <laughs> Maybe the same day, the same day. <laughs> something like that but um yeah that, that's also another idea that just uh popped up uh, like that you're full of good ideas there i like those <laughs> i'll have to chat with you more and figure out which one to try first and we'll we'll go through them mm -hmm. so sure uh, great um yeah you, so you mentioned the the imac is a late 2011 imac do you have any plan to upgrade that imac uh, I'm not sure yet. It's, uh, it's still puttering along here, and it's doing what I need it to do. So I think for now, I'm going to stick with it. Uh, it's amazing how long these products last. I mean, just, you know, it works. I had a 2007 MacBook Pro that ended up lasting, I think it was nine years, seven or eight, nine, I think it was nine years even. Uh, I did have to go in there and, and put, uh, change out a couple things, but, um, I mean, it lasted a long, long time. Uh, to the point where it was probably cheaper to, to buy a new one than it was to fix the old one when it finally went. I think the motherboard crashed on that one eventually. But, you know, this iMac's still going strong, so I'm going to stick with it for a while. I think if I if I upgraded something new, like I said, I think it would be the iPad 12.9 model. I think that would be the next thing that would really help me with my business and uh, just give me more real estate, give me more opportunities, more space, uh, better, better hardware, you know, faster graphics, that kind of thing, for what I'm doing. Although this one is pretty good, I, I can't complain. It's just a little smaller than I want. <laughs> <laughs> so, Apple makes pretty good products, and they, they last a long time. That's one of the things I love about it. Mm -hmm. I'm checking right now the late 2000, mid 2011 iMac to check the compatibility with uh, macOS and. Um, yeah, it's compatible with the latest release of macOS, so at least High Sierra. Mm -hmm. That means that uh, even if it's not compatible with Mojave, which will be out uh, in a few months, you will get at least for two additional years some uh, security updates and so on. Mm. So you will be good at least for the next two years, yeah, security-wise. Well, that's good to hear. I, I think within a couple of years, I'll probably upgrade to a new machine, but... As long as it lasts, I'm you know, crossing my fingers here. You know, it stays, it stays strong. <laughs> so, but it, it works really well, and uh, it's it's hasn't caused any problems yet. So, 
Um, it's it does its job, and uh, so far so good. So, and at the time of recording, the Apple event just came out. Uh, did you did you see anything that uh, was tempting uh, from the, the new iPhones or the Apple Watch or things like that? I was I was intrigued by the Apple Watch there. What, what the, the the changes they've made to that, and you know, it's just it's you think about wearing something like that on you know, no matter where you are, you've always got you know connectivity to everything. It's amazing. So who knows? Maybe I'll end up with one of those one of these days. Or um, I probably won't be getting one of the new iPhones. I'll probably get one of the older models, but <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm not sure I can afford the new ones. But uh, they, they they keep finding new ways to make them, you know, interesting and relevant and push the edge. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. The AirPods or the HomePod are these categories of products uh, that you that would be tempting to you? Well, I don't know. I'm a little. I'm, I'm a little old fashioned. I'm a little nervous about uh, people listening in, you know, or just devices listening to everything that I say. It's just, I don't know. Also, I have children and uh, I read about, it wasn't an Apple product. I think it was Amazon, but someone had their Amazon on and basically they ordered some things from Amazon um, when their kids were speaking indirectly. So that has me a little bit nervous being a parent, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I'm, Uh, more I'm thinking things like um, I'm hoping at some point here they'll upgrade the Mac Mini because uh, I think that would be great. I think there's a lot of a lot of untapped value for the iMac or not iMac for the Mac Mini. Um, I'd like to get one or get get another one for my machine, but then take the one I've got and potentially use it with my with my TV. You know, I know they have the Apple TV and that does some things, but I kind of want to be able to do more. In, in tandem, Apple TV along with, say, a Mac Mini would probably cover a lot of the, the uses a TV could could have these days. So not quite what they talked about in the, uh, in the uh, Apple event, but those are what I'm hoping for. Great. So what's next then for, for you and your business? Well, uh, I'm trying to figure out whether try, – I'm trying to do more of a – I'm trying to figure out a system where I'm not working as many hours as I am right now, where, mm -hmm. I, where I can where I can replace the time for money model that I'm currently doing, and come up with a system where I'm able to sell products more. I uh, think about you know even what Sean talks about in some of his podcasts about the about the three the three ways to three main ways to make money as a business you know with products with sales and uh, You know, with, uh, with yeah, products, sales, and teaching. Those are the three. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm looking at potentially doing a, a little course. I'm looking at uh, building up my inventory of designs so I'm not necessarily drawing everything from scratch every single time. Uh, I'm looking at uh, hiring designers to work with me to create stuff that I could use for my clients that, that matches up to the vision that I have for what I'm trying to give them. That's kind of where I'm at now. It's kind of hard when you're a creative. You know, you, you start a business and it's, you know, in many senses, it's based on what you're good at, right? So you're good at something. That's what you start with. But then you realize, this was a, a revelation for me a couple of years ago, was, you know, at some point, it needs to be able to run itself if it's going to be a true entrepreneur business. Otherwise, I'm really just a freelancer. And that was a, that was a hard realization to come to. <laughs> 
So, you know, it's, it's a matter of, of trying to figure out the right steps to move forward uh, with that, whether, whether that means me focusing on creating a, 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 an amount of work, a, a base of work that I sell um, to the side uh, alongside my client work, or if that means hiring out that work to other artists who I feel can provide me the work that I need at the level I need. So that's kind of where I'm at with that, trying to figure out a way to not be always in my business, but be more working on my business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I realized that as well. I was before starting to listen to to Sean and, and the Sean West podcast. I had in my mind that um, yeah, uh, that so a solopreneur could be a solopreneur for life, and mm-hmm. um, and without without any compromise. So I had that in mind that you could be a solopreneur and there would be any compromise at all. But I, I realized that, and, and I was a bit shocked at the beginning when, when Sean was saying that uh, about growth and and uh, having a team and things like that. Mm-hmm. But but now I realize more and more that uh, as the as the owner and of the business, I'm also the bottleneck. I'm uh, I don't I don't remember who is do is saying about this. The the leader is the the lead, the lead the lead of the business. <laughs> That's true. And so I realized that, and I have this tension inside of me where I'd like to, to stay small and, and, and be independent and freelance and, and, and solopreneur. But at the same time, I realized that it's also limiting the, yeah, the growth of the business, the potential to reach uh, more customers and so on. And so there's this uh, fine, fine balance trying to persuade myself that uh, maybe there's another way and uh, yeah but it's not it's not easy it's not easy well you know with my business what i what i think a lot about is is revolutionizing the industry that's something that i i feel like i'm doing slowly <laughs> over time because when i started it, everyone told me i was going to fail and i didn't believe them because I had that experience with the first, the second job in screen printing where I kind of was my guinea pig and it kind of was my opportunity to test out my theories and see what happened and just doing, you know, better art. What happens in the industry is people, screen printers especially, they don't leave room in their budget for art costs. They, they cut that part out and so that they get on this commodity pricing, who's the cheapest, you know, race to the bottom is what they do. And so when you... You throw them a number, like here's this number for these shirts. You know, this is the price of the artwork. They're, they're in, they have sticker shock. Like, oh my goodness, I can never offer that to my client and, and get an approval. And I said, well, it depends on how you break it down. You look at this. You, you're printing 500 shirts. You know, if the art cost, of just making something up here, is $300 or let's say 250. You know, uh, for the art, you're you're not paying a lot per shirt. You see what I mean? It's only. <laughs> You're only paying a small amount per shirt, and that you add that in there with, you know, the shirt cost and the printing costs and everything else, you still got a lot of room for profit. You still have a lot of room before, um, you know, to get to that point where you're going to sell these shirts. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, th- when they see it that way, all of a sudden they say, "Oh, it's only you know a dollar a shirt. It's only fifty cents per shirt that I'm paying in art fees." All of a sudden, it makes a lot more sense to charge someone a little more. And they've got, you know, they got great art as a result. And when you have that great art and you use that art on your shirts, typically the shirts sell better. 
you get better results. So the investment really pays off tenfold. Uh, people come back and order a second order of the same shirts, which means all you're doing is printing. So the artwork doesn't have to be recreated. You just print. And so you're making money at that point, just more and more money. And usually the people want to wear the shirts longer that way. So that's kind of what I am trying to help in the industry with uh, is trying to get away from trying to help printers, screen printers, whoever get away from trying to be the jack of all trades, master of none, and instead focus on just doing what they're good at and let the artist do what he's good at and make, you know, make me or people like me part of your team, you know, so that you can create stuff that is even better than what you could do on your own. And then we all reap the reward of that. So that's kind of my, my, my mission. That's kind of my goal. And so getting back to the point you were at, you were talking about is how does that fit in with what I'm trying to do? Does that mean I, am I looking for other artists? Am I looking to branch out and be less involved myself or like what you're talking about, you know, solopreneur in a sense and kind of, I, I produce this stuff, but I create enough product that I don't have to be doing time for money, client work all the time. And that's kind of where I'm at that crossroads right now. I'm trying to decide which way to go. So I'm kind of testing out both theories at the moment. Oh, that's good. So where can people then find you and your art? Well, I've got a website called Bold Line Design. That's B as in boy, O-L-D-L-I-N-E, design.com. That's my mm -hmm. main website. And then I'm also on Facebook. I've got a company site on there with a lot of my work and different things. Uh, and that's where I tie everything back to in, in these groups that I talked about earlier. So it's facebook.com backslash design LLC is that one. And then lastly, I'll give you one more is uh, Instagram, uh, bold line design. So whichever is your favorite social media, you know, <laughs> those are my main, those are my main two aside from my website. Those are the two that I use pretty frequently. Great. And from there, the, they can find, find you as well. And uh, yeah, that's great. Yes. I have all my contact info on there and email address and everything else is all there. So should be able to reach out to me there. either site or all three, any, any of the three actually would work. Yeah, if they have a t-shirt in mind or something they want to get help with for a, a, a event or a school or they've got a, they're, they're printers and they want to have help with a design that I'm, I'm here to help. So I'm here to take whatever they have and make it better. You know, take it up to 11, as they say in a certain movie. <laughs> so, you know, it's a spinal tap. Uh, but uh, that's, that's kind of what I do. So, It's, I work for screen printers, but also for the retail market based on what they're looking for. Great. Well, thank you very much, Matt. It was a pleasure to have you on the show and, and to discover a little bit more how you do what you do and uh, the, the behind the scenes of uh, T-shirt uh, design. Well, it was great being with you, Damien. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. So for the listener, as usual, all the links will be in the show notes available at macpreneur.com forward slash episode 17. If you enjoy the show, please leave a rating or review by visiting macpreneur.com forward slash iTunes. If you have questions or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please visit macpreneur.com forward slash contact. So that's it for today. And until next time, I'm Damien Schroes, wishing you a great day.